People should not bring their personal problems into the office. I agree. Is it so hard to just leave everything at the door and just do your job? I look forward to it. They can't stand it. They'll drag you into the garbage out there. They just want you to be as miserable as they are. I say let them have it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast about Mad Men. As always, I'm your host, Mike Levito. And I'm your other host, Kathleen Levito. And we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 1, Flight 1. I can't... I thought we were on, like, Season 2, Episode 4. I'm going to no. be totally real with no. you. Episode 2. Any, uh, any, any, any first thoughts? First of all, I thought we were on Season 2, Episode 4. <laughs> um... This one, like, hits me personally. I just, I, I am just, like, not a fan of some characters in this mm-hmm. one, I will say. I feel like we are in season two. We are finally, like, like, like okay, we get it. Like, we understand where we're at. What's at? Oh, Peggy comes back in this. She came back in the episode prior. She came in the last, she came back in the last episode yeah. of season one? No, this is the, the second episode of season two. I thought you said the first episode of season two. Well, I meant season two, episode two. Season two, episode two, flight one. I may have screwed that up in the intro, yes. Well, you guys tell us. Comment and tell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mommy, comment down below. <laughs> <laughs> right and subscribe. Um, but this is, yeah, this is, I actually do like this episode because I like, um, we see, like, a character's living. I guess we, I can just say this. It's not a spoiler. We see, like, Paul's living situation, which I liked seeing that personal side of the character. It's so disgusting. Like, not his house, just, like, his personality mm. is disgusting. His scarf. And his pipe. scarf. Just the whole, like... <laughs> where, where does he live? Montclair. Montclair. Montclair is hopping. It's like, <laughs> mm, okay. Um, your run's cheaper. That's why you're out there. <laughs> he says it's the, it's the knees. It's the knees. Montclair's the knees. <laughs> <laughs> and then Joan is not very nice in that one. I feel in the first several seasons, like, I really went up and down with Joan. Mm-hmm. Um, she can be, like, so nasty. Mm-hmm. And she can be, like, f- like very admirable. Yeah. Um, she's a difficult character. And I think if you look into her character, it makes sense why. Mm-hmm. But I think in this scene in particular, or in this episode in particular, to me, she just seems nasty for no reason. Yeah. Um, which, in my mind, seemed a little out of character for her. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you talked through the relationship she has with Paul, it would probably make more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's not about what she was nasty about. I think it was more like a jive at Paul and mm-hmm. not like a personal opinion of hers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, this is a good Pete episode. And I yes. realized that I really like Pete-centric episodes. Um because I think he's an interesting character. Mm-hmm. And I get down to sort of like the... To some like deep, dark places. And like his, his place in the world. Like it's... I think it's always interesting to see him kind of like try and navigate. And like when we get... Because you know, it's like... Don has his own problems, but on the surface Don is perfect. Um, and we get... Like Peggy's very sympathetic. Like Betty's very unsympathetic. Um, you know, I think of like the main characters. But like with Pete, it's really like, uh, you know... He's very unlikable, obviously, but at the same time, he is maybe the most relatable in some regards. Yeah. I just realized that this show is really, 
largely comprised of misplaced characters. Mm. You, like, How so? So, I mean, I feel Don is the obvious one, where mm. he is really like a man without a past. Mm. And he... Like, I don't know if misplaced is the word I want to use, but characters who are... Um, like, I don't know, maybe, like, fighting against something. So he is fighting against, like, his past, right? And mm-hmm. he's trying to find his place. And I think that's a really big, obvious one. I don't know what the word is I want to use. But then I feel you have Joan, and I, f- like, Joan is this character who is, like, the sex symbol, basically, right? She's so attractive, she's whatever. But she is older than everyone else, like, all the other women at the office. Mm. I mean, primarily. And she's unmarried. She's older than all the unmarried women at the office. So I feel she's kind of misplaced in the regard that she has all of this appeal and all of this power at the office, but in her personal life, it's kind of a void, you know? Mm. Um, Pete, obviously, is, like, a what's going on with him kind of character <laughs> like he is fighting so hard to be at the top but nobody wants him at the top to keep on pushing him mm-hmm. aside he also comes from an uh, like a unhappy house like distressful home peggy is you know a woman outside of her times where she um is young and she's cute and all of that good stuff but she wants something that's not that so mm-hmm. she's misplaced for that reason she is in the boys club now um i feel like paul is this you know I was going to say thespian, but he's not an actor. But, um... Well, he fancies himself a bohemian. Yes, bohemian. But he's working a corporate Mm -hmm. job. Um, Betty is, you know, the perfect housewife who doesn't have the perfect home. Mm -hmm. Um, Then later we see, like, not a spoiler, but things happen with Sally. Mm -hmm. That it really is, like, everyone's just kind of, like, slightly off-center from where they would like to be. Yeah. Okay. Good preamble. Let's, uh... I don't know if that's going to relate to anything else, <laughs> but... Yeah, I think it will. Let's talk about the episode now. Like I said, Flight One, uh, written by Lisa Albert, Matthew Weiner, and Robin Veith, and directed by Andrew Bernstein. Um, so let's dive into the synopsis right now. It starts with Pete and Trudy arriving at Paul's apartment in Montclair for a party, um, meet up with Harry and Jennifer. We get a few scenes of people flirting and stuff. Um, but most importantly, we see Paul introduce Joan to his girlfriend, Sheila, who was black, um, Joan makes an offhanded comment when she and Sheila are alone about about how Joan and Paul used to date and be in a relationship and all that. Um, next day, Peggy wakes up coming over, and Roger and Don walk into an office with a bunch of people gathered around Hildy's desk listening to the radio. The reason they're doing so is because American Airlines Flight 1 has crashed into Jamaica Bay, and this is obviously very distressing. Don tells everyone to pull their Mohawk ads because they don't want airline advertisements next to articles about a plane crashing. Um, and then everyone starts to make jokes about the crash. Uh, Duck walks into Bert's office and tells Bert and Roger that he just talked to Shell Keneally, who's head of something at American, and that they're looking for a change in ad agency. Um, meanwhile, Pete gets a phone call and stands up shocked. He wanders into Don's office and he tells Don that his father was on the plane and is, of course, now dead. Don closes the door, kind of tries to comfort him, and just ends up telling him he has to go be with his family because, it, quote, it's what people do. Um, Which is the coldest thing to say. It is. It's so revealing of Don. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Pete ends up leaving, but he walks past. People are still making group. A group of people are still making jokes about the crash. Uh, Cooper calls Don into his office, where the where he, Roger and and Duck, I wrote the brain trust in my notes, are sitting. They tell Don that they're going to go after American, which means they have to get rid of Mohawk, and that really upsets Don because he thinks Mohawk's been a loyal customer, um, and they should stay loyal to them as well. After that, we get three different home scenes. 
Uh, the first was the Campbells, which shows uh, the Campbell family making arrangements for uh, Andrew Campbell's funeral. Um, Bud talks to Dunham, who I assume is like their accountant or something, and confides in Pete that their dad blew most of, the money on, most of their money on, quote, oysters, travel, and club memberships unbeknownst to their mother. Their mother is like clearly in a state of shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Draper home, Don comes home to find Betty preparing food for Carlton and Francine because they're going to come over to play cards much to Don's dismay. Um, once they get there, Carlton tells Don about their hot babysitter. About their hot babysitter. Um, while playing cards, Sally and Bobby eavesdrop. Bobby kind of sneaks in and says he's scared. Don takes him up to bed. Betty goes into this whole thing about how Don doesn't really discipline his kids enough, they're not afraid of him enough, blah, blah, blah. And after Carlton and Francine leave, Don and Betty sort, sort of argue about, like, Carlton and Francine. Don's just like, look, I'm not going to fight with you. Takes out the trash, goes up, sort of stares at Sally and Bobby sleeping in the same bed and just kind of sighs to himself. Um, at the Olsen's house, Peggy drops off a vacuum that she had borrowed from her mother. Um, she meets with her mother and her sister, Anita. Uh, they talk about church and how Peggy doesn't go and how that like, sort of like bothers her mother. Um, and then Peggy sort of guiltily says goodnight to a room full of children, including an infant. Um, the next day, Trudy and Pete talk about how Pete followed his father in the last conversation. Uh, Joan and Paul argue in the office about uh, what Joan said to Paul's girlfriend, uh, Sheila. Roger tells Don to go basically break up with the Mohawk guy at dinner that later that night. Um, Duck comes into Pete's office and says he read about his dad's death in the Times and tells him he's going to meet with Shell Keneally at the University Club and he wants Pete there. Pete very wisely says he's uncomfortable doing that. <laughs> like, um, the one sound decision Pete has ever made was yeah. to express that that is uncomfortable for me. Yes. Uh, then we see a hand take Joan's purse out of her locker. Then we see Pete tell Hildy to call his wife, but then tells her to stop. He looks at Peggy, then he goes to Don's office, and Don just kind of sends him away to Huff because Don is upset about the Mohawk thing, so then Pete walks away hurt. Then Joan, as she's leaving, sees two secretaries laughing at the bulletin board, it turns out the laughing at a copy of her license that shows she's 30, born in 1931. She complains about it to Peggy, who, by the way, should have seen who did it because she works in the same room as the copier. Doesn't say anything to Joan. Um, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Maybe she was at lunch, but I don't know. So anyway, later, Don gets dinner with Henry from Mohawk at... It was either a Japanese or Chinese restaurant, I don't know. Uh, Henry from Mohawk is very upset. He blames Don for the whole thing, lays it all on his feet. A waitress comes on to Don, and Don turns her down, Un- unlike him. Uh, Duck sits down of Shell and talks business. Pete joins them unexpectedly at the university club, actually tells Shell that his dad died in the crash, but they go through with their meeting. Um, and it ends with the Olsons at church. Everyone gets up to go get communion, but Peggy stays sitting. She's handed that infant, which just cries in her arms, clearly uncomfortable. I just thought of a when we do spoilers later. Okay. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the theme? Work-life balance. Yes. You want to start? You want me to start? Um, you can start. Okay. So this is kind of a fascinating episode because it's, I, I think, one of the first where we get to see life and work collide. Like, we've seen them, we've seen work eclipse life, especially in Don's case, but I think this is the first time we see some intermingling and some mixture and some things that show up there. Um, and it, it even begins that way, right? Like, it begins with a bunch of people who Paul works with going to um, Paul's apartment mm-hmm. for a party and mingling not just with him, but with his 
presumably his other friends, and the illusions of work and illusions of life begin to kind of shatter there. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Trudy makes some comment about how everyone there works for pizzas. Don't say that. They don't think about yeah. it that way. Um, and so, you know, he's clearly talking about how that how that's the case when yeah. it's really not the case at all. They're all kind of on the same level. Um, and even on, like, a, a, a broader level, you know, Paul, he, he says that, you know, People are like, oh, like, why aren't you in the Greenwich with all the Bohemians there? And he's like, oh, he goes, I'm here because it's not Greenwich. He goes, this is America, right? That's um, Montclair. Yeah. <laughs> Which but, I feel like no one who's not from the New Jersey, New York area will know, but, right, like, yeah. it's a town. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a big, ta- a big town with, like, yes, a theater and a museum. But yeah. Means, you know. Um, but he's kind of, like, introducing these fancy Manhattanites to, like, life, to Montclair, to what he thinks is real America. Um and you know he's but he's even brought a piece of work back with him. He stole a typewriter so he could mm-hmm. write on it. And it's so there was this ever constant reminder of work and sort of like, you know, having to take from work to live, mm-hmm. presumably having to take from life to work, that kind of a thing. Um, and of course, there's the, the the big thing that looms over this whole episode is the American Airlines flight. This becomes a part where life is supposed to be more important than work. Yeah. And Pete doesn't know what to do in that situation. Yeah. Um, his dad dies. It causes a huge pile of work. Like he can't work. He doesn't know what to do. But he goes to work. He, but he still goes to work. But um, and and he 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 searches. He's trying to figure out what to do because he's never been like faced with this much life almost. And so he kind of ironically seeks fatherly advice from Don. Um, Don says, and that kind of paraphrases their conversation. But Don says, "Go be with your family." And he goes, "Why?" And he goes, "That's what people do." He goes, is that what he would do? And Don says, yes, um, that he would be with his family, not work. Um, but it's it's interesting how it's so choreographed, right? You, you see, like, their scenes at work, and they seem so effortless sometimes. Um, and they're everyone there is kind of good at their job. But when it comes time to, like, be a human, to react to an emotional event, to react to your father's death, like, Pete needs a blueprint written out for him. Mm-hmm. And because he's clearly viewed his he's he's pushed down almost that part of his yeah. life. Yeah, he's just very ill, clearly very ill-equipped Yeah, at that area. And I think because we've gotten hints, we've got images into his family life before, and it is so much struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this part of Pete where he really wants to prove himself Yeah, apart from his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you... When you know, okay, that's all well and good when your family's intact, but mm-hmm. what happens when they're not? How yeah. do you prove yourself as a member of that family mm-hmm. when what you do for a living, what you thought was going to be your thing, can't actually be applied to that situation? Yeah. And that conversation done says, look, there's life and there's work, which kind of implies that there's two discrete things separate, but as this episode even showed in the beginning sequence, like, that's not true at all. Mm-hmm. Like, they always overlap and they always interfere with each other and you can't really keep them separate. You have to take from one to deal with the other sometimes. You, like, that, that balance is, is almost impossible this to This is a very out. real episode. It is. It's very <laughs> real. Um, you know, there, there's this whole... It, and what I think is so interesting, too, about the... Um, the whole, like, dumping Mohawk thing is that Don, a man who doesn't really have, like, a blood family, everyone's dead or he doesn't talk to any of them... And who is clearly disconnected from his, like, you know, nuclear family. Um, 
you know, I think one of the reasons why he has such a loyalty to Mohawk is because it's, like, the one thing he knows that's kind of familial, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's trying to fill that void in his family life by, you know, choosing something to be loyal upon. Like, he's already denied his, his bloodline, basically. Mm-hmm. He's already keeping his, like, marriage at arm's length, and he's he's kind of, like, can't really relate to his kids, but, you know, he there, this is the one thing he has that kind of, like, makes him feel connected to another person, and now he's being told to get rid of it because, and he and he thinks that's like that's a betrayal. Like it's, it's it's almost like blood runs a blood runs thicker than water thing in their blood because they've been with them for so long. Mm. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, and we even get like little bits about like um, how how Roger says that the guy from Mohawk he was the best poker player in the Pacific, which means you know he served with him in World mm-hmm. War Two, and even then that's that's an example of like life interfering with work or at least not interfering with it actually enabling it right like he's leveraged his personal relationship with this guy to get his business and that's encouraged in the episode prior to this right where uh or actually two episodes prior to this rather where doc tells everyone to like go through their old high school yearbooks and find people who might work places who they still know right there's this idea that you can make life sort of like work for work almost and like leverage it and it, it shows you this, this sort of, like... I think a lot of... A lot of people sort of, like... Certainly, I think, when they're younger, I think messages in a lot of media is that, like, oh, like life is more important than work. Things like that. I don't necessarily think that once you enter, enter the workforce, there, I think there are a lot of people who don't share that mm-hmm. uh, perspective. Especially um, in what we do and where we live. Yes, speaking from personal experience. Um... But this is a clear example where people who, who have that latter, like, attitude, right, where it's like, this job is actually more, like, you're not working to live, you're living to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and your life is an auxiliary uh, piece of that. Um, and, and just the way that the, this life can be, like, choreographed and almost, like, there are certain boxes you have to check. Um, you know, when, when they're talking about, like, the arrangements, um... Uh, the I, I don't know her name, but but Bud's wife says something like nice about Andrew Campbell, and 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 Drew's like, oh, what a lovely thing to say. And she goes, I like to offer a nice bouquet of thoughts, as <laughs> if it's sort of a step and as like a thank you card to sign out. Yeah. As like just like it's just so oh we like no one would ever say that yeah. about like interacting with another person, right? Like it's like a weird thing to say. Um, and the irony is that Pete's dad actually had too much life, right? Like, we don't actually... It's kind of implied that he really didn't do anything, right? His 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 wife is like an heiress, basically. Um, and it's, it's clear that all the money comes from her. Um, and he chastises Pete for not being a doctor or a lawyer. But we never actually find out what he did. It really just sounds like all he did was blow it on life. Oysters, travel, and club memberships. Um, so as much as I think sort of this episode is meant to is meant to show work the work-life balance i think it's supposed to, i think it's supposed to encourage the life part of the work-life balance right like you're supposed to feel bad about the way pete reacts to it um i think there is kind of like an argument it's like there can be too much life too and you should make something of yourself and not just blow it on everything so kind of like a a uh, you know concession paragraph if you will there um and and even like you know the whole thing with the money is Pete's like, oh, we were never even going to get that 
money and and Bud goes, oh, the thought of a will never crossed your mind. And Pete, Pete goes like, oh, like I wasn't gonna get that. And Pete, Bud goes like, oh no. He's like, yeah, you weren't. Yeah. Like he, you know, it, it becomes like that, that. Like this death becomes a business transaction yeah. almost, and your exchange with your brother about, you know, your dad dying is. It becomes, yeah, business like. Um, go on. Let me think what I was going to say on this. Let's talk about Peggy. Yeah, a lot. So something very interesting I noticed about sort of like work-life balance. So she drops off the vacuum cleaner to her mother's house, and she in the in the first scene at Sterling Cooper. She, you can see her holding the vacuum mm-hmm. cleaner as she walks in the door. She's literally bringing part of yeah. her home into the office, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a big thing. I'm just like, because she lives she lives, she lives in Manhattan, and her mother I, lives in Brooklyn. I think she's... I don't know. No, no, I think she's supposed to... I, I have no idea. I always thought she was supposed to stay, still be in Brooklyn. Okay. Just, like, obviously not living with her mother. Yeah. Because my thing was, like, why would you bring a... If you... I mean, if you lived in Brooklyn and your family lived in Brooklyn and you borrowed a vacuum cleaner... Yeah, Would it be convenient point. to bring it into Manhattan just to bring it back into Brooklyn? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe she does live in Manhattan. I feel like she lives in Manhattan. Yeah. Which is also a weird place to borrow a vacuum cleaner from, regardless. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how expensive <laughs> vacuum cleaners were back yeah. then. Yeah. Um... But when when so but it's, it was when she gets home and sees like her family, mm-hmm. uh, her mother just say like we never see you. Yeah. So it's like work is winning. Yeah. In the life arena for Peggy, and there's a, a very interesting conversation between her and John that we'll get to later that highlights that even more. But yeah. Anything else on Peggy right now? Um, I feel no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like we have interesting Peggy scenes. Yeah. We haven't met her family before. I don't think. No, this is the first time we see it. And it's very like. Brooklyn. Yeah, it's it very Brooklyn. It, it is like I, I think them like it's so like our our we have family from Brooklyn. Um and I think the one thing like this this show gets so well is the way that her and her sister call their mother Ma. Yeah. Like the Ma. way Ma. Like I just it's just so like they really get like she like Peggy loses her Brooklyn accent from like the first episode. Yeah. But like that is like so Brooklyn and like right right on like tag right it's there. It's so great. Yeah, yeah. And just, like, her mother, like, her mother's accent, like, the way she's talking about, like, church and stuff. And just, like, and, like I eat you, like, you have toast, have whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Like, yeah. no, Ma, I told you, I, did, I ate already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never eat with us anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so really well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, but what's interesting, too, like, about that scene and about, I think, the home scenes of the Drapers and the Campbells is that you have these three characters, Pete, Peggy, and Don, who are clearly not comfortable at home and with their families, and so that's why they, like, plunge themselves into their work. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some dissatisfaction there. And it seems like they're really not that interested in work-life balance because they don't really feel like they have a life. Mm-hmm. Their life isn't satisfying to them, so they, they're, they're, they're fine to just kind of stay at work the whole time. Yeah. Um... Let me look through. I took a lot of notes, and some of them don't make any sense. So, of course, like I basically yes. rewatched the episode last that night. That was, uh, you know, my college experience right yeah. there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, and and the big the, the thing that I think really sort of highlights 
what, what the, the the Paul and Joan thing I think is a big part, right? Because Paul, I would say, takes like a little bit of a risk by inviting work. Really, anytime you invite work people to your home, you're mm-hmm. taking a little bit of a risk, right? Because you know you try and put on a professional facade at work, and they come home and they see your apartment's a mess, or your friends are weird, or whatever, right? Yeah. You, there's a lot of things like you run the risk of revealing about yourself. That's like I work. I'm one of the youngest people in my office, just mm-hmm. personal and I'm one of the youngest people in my office. I have a lot of respect at work and I people think I act a lot older than I am. And then I come home and I have clean laundry in the laundry basket from two weeks ago mm-hmm. and then like a pile of dishes in the sink. I'm like, oh yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but they get into this whole argument where Joan's very mean. I love the way she says Nork in, in that uh, that scene though, like how she how dismissively she says it, just like Nork or wherever. I don't yeah. know. It's a really well acted scene for Christina Hendricks. It's like very mean. And then technically, we never see who copies her license. It has to be Paul. Yeah. Right. But it's interesting because, like, you know, on the one hand, you can say, oh, like you know, Paul choosing to mix life and work kind of was this problem. But it's like really this problem would have existed possibly even if he didn't bring Joan his apartment because they had been in a prior relationship before mm-hmm. so it's just kind of like Joan's kind of like why didn't like why why did you like she so she later says to Peggy people should not bring their personal problems into the office is it so hard to just leave everything at the door and do your job well your personal problem is endemic to the office because you used to be a co-worker yeah. like you you're kind of like guilty in that as well not to mention your relationship with Roger or whatever the hell's going on with that right but after she says that Peggy says I look forward to it so it's Peggy Basically admitting, saying aloud that she prefers to work, she mm. prefers work to her family, right? Peggy uh, goes to work, it seems, to escape that. Um, yeah. And then there's the whole um, sort of Pete and Duck and Don, the way that ends, where Duck approaches Pete, and he literally says, like, you know, I read about your father's, like, I would hope you would tell me about that, or we're practically family here. Um, and then tries to lean on him to get him to, uh, excuse me, um, to go to the meeting. Rochelle Keneally. And Pete asserts himself, he's like, no, that would, that would make me uncomfortable. <laughs> And it's, like, Duck clearly trying to leverage this, like, mm. thing and, like, trying to... I would... Like, I feel like he's trying to, like, guilt shell into doing mm. business with him um, and all of that. But Pete gets out of the office. He tells Helen to call his wife. Um, and then he says not to bother. And he actually looks at Peggy, who, unbeknownst to him, he actually kind of has a family mm. with. Um, and and there's kind of this, like, this 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 sort of tender moment when they, they lock eyes where there's kind of, like, a... A familial implication like a familiarity and he goes to Don's dead he kind of goes running to his his father basically his father like figure and Don sort of pushes him away he says it's not a good time and Pete doesn't know what to do with that because um, now work is rejecting him and also like his his like work dad is rejecting mm-hmm. him and we never really liked him in the first place <laughs> um, but it goes back to this sort of like seeking of approval that we've seen in earlier episodes too when he lands the clear cell account and he's, he's, he tells Don he goes it matters to me that you're impressed so, like Pete has always been seeking this sort of paternal approval from Don. This is really nothing new. The difference is that he has another father figure to run to, and that's Duck. And that ends up making him go to the university club meeting and kind of um, it, almost betraying his father's memory by leveraging it 
for personal um, gain, right? And and th- the thing is, is that Don at least shows some genuine compassion, or whatever the closest thing Don can muster to genuine compassion mm-hmm. when when Pete tells him his father died. Um, it's like Don knew enough to say, "I don't want to deal with this." Exactly. But I know what to tell you to do in order yes. to deal with it. Yeah. Um, whereas Duck is very clearly just kind of callously mm-hmm. using this to his own end. He doesn't really care about Pete's feelings. He just wants to land a deal and make himself look good. Um, and this has an impact on Don also because, you know, there's a, at least an avuncular relationship of Roger and Don, right? Um, and now Don is no longer the favorite son, right? He has to do, like, usually he has not, like, final say, but, like, his word carry a lot of weight. Now he's being overruled by Duck. And this is, again, the first time this has happened to him. And he has to go sort of, like, destroy a family basically by by reject by telling mohawk to to get out yeah yeah i also think uh, this is a weird sociological tangent Mm -hmm. but it's like i was thinking about like pete um and peggy and how peggy's supposed to come from like a catholic family and pete's supposed to be like this very waspy upbringing and there's this and I haven't actually read this book, and I don't know that much about sociology, so I could be getting this completely wrong. But Max Weber was like one of the first sociologists, and he wrote a book called the, um, like the Protestant Work Ethic and Capitalism, and it was basically that like Protestant principles sort of like encourage like capitalism and like hard work and sort of like modern work behaviors. And I was thinking about this, and it's I, I feel like um, being raised Catholic, I feel like there is actually very like familial emphasis in Catholicism. Continue. I'll say if I agree later. But, but and like and I f- and I feel like there's this sort of like the the tension in Pete and um, his father's relationship is that Pete's job is not is not like proper. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough. It's it's like base. Mm-hmm. It's he he calls him like a, a pimp basically, and it's like that is sort of the the chief conflict. Um, whereas with Peggy and her family, the chief conflict is that mm-hmm. Peggy doesn't spend enough time with her family. Yeah, she doesn't go to agree. church. Um, and I think that's kind of like an interesting conflict of its like um, two sort of clashing value systems with both of which end up exerting perhaps unfair pressure on mm-hmm. the child. It's my little drugstore sociology. I would agree. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Any uh, Anything else... Oh, well, the other thing I did have is, speaking of Catholicism, the last scene at church, um, (sighs) you know, there's (laughs) there's so much pressure put on Peggy to go to church by her mother, and yet, when she goes to church, she's not allowed to get up to get communion. Mm. So even though... Because that's Catholicism for you. (laughs) So much guilt. (laughs) And so, even though she's like, fine, I'll be with this family, I'll do what you want me to do, they still, like, soft reject her. By not letting her participate fully, she's still considered other because she, uh, in in Anita's words in a later episode, seduced a married man, even though that's not really what happened. But that's how they view it, um, and brought kind of shame to them and is kind of rejecting them. So that that's you know it's clear why she's uncomfortable in that family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else about work life balance? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, cover a lot of ground there. I feel. Um, okay, 
Let's move on to our awards then. Mm-hmm. The Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week. Duck. Absolutely duck. He um, wants to get rid of loyal clients for not even a guarantee of a contract mm-hmm. of American just because it gets their name in the door. Which Don's just like, oh, for like a wink from American we get rid of him. And he he's completely like so like callous of this. Mm-hmm. Like he he leverages a tragedy that American is dealing with. He leverages a personal tragedy with Pete and he clearly like does not care. He's clearly doing it for himself and his own personal gain. I don't know what else you have to say. That's literally it. Yeah. Yeah. Um our Roger Sterling Memorial Quote of the Week. Not a lot of good ones in this episode. It's a very sad episode. Um, <clears throat> but when... I do like the bouquet of flowers. The bouquet of thoughts one is good. Thoughts, yeah. I, I should have put that down. Um, but <laughs> when uh, Pete and Trudy get to the... to Paul's party and they see Jennifer and Harry and Pete looks I around... I just thought of an idea. I had... Um, sorry. Um... Can I be interrupt this for a second? Sure. This idea at the party, mm. Peggy's making out with some guy, and he's mm. trying to get her to come home mm. with him, and she's just like, "Why should I? Why should I? Whatever." Yeah. And I don't remember what he says, but she's like, "I'm in the business of persuasion. You're not impressing." Yeah, me. she's like, "Your presentation hasn't impressed me." Yeah, yeah. So there's that work-life balance too. Oh yeah, yeah. She's using yeah. That's yeah. she's deploying strategies learned at work. Yeah. To 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 swerve a dude. Yeah. 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 So the quote. Yes, the quote. <laughs> so Pete and Trudy meet up with uh, Jennifer and uh, Harry, and Pete goes, I can smell alcohol, but I can't see it. And Jennifer goes, it's him. And Harry goes, it's a party. <laughs> okay. Foreshadowing? Yeah. one let me think for a second what it was oh the fact that Pete uses his personal tragedy to like win that account mm. to like or like to like kind of he uses it in the pitch for the account basically um later Don tries to do the same thing with Hershey mm. but they go in very different directions yeah. Yeah. he kind of scares them with yeah. his confession about growing up in a whorehouse yeah yeah that's, that's a good that's a good yeah. one um, I have, so at the party, um, there's a scene where, like, Ken is flirting with some, Donna is her name, which is, like, the secretary at the office, and Sal and Kitty are just kind of standing by watching him do it, because, like, don't you have somewhere else to go? And Sal's just, they just kind of keep staring, mm-hmm. um, and there's an episode, I don't know if it's this season, might be the one after this, where, uh, Sal, it actually kind of, like, falls in love with Ken, and, like, invites him over to dinner. Oh, yeah. And shows this clear, like, attraction and longing for him. And so it's kind of, like, the first inklings we get yeah. of that. Um, when Roger and Don get into the office, they complain about the traffic because of the ticker tape parade for John Glenn. Um, Apollo 11. There will be a very good Apollo 11 episode later on. You know, space travel will continue to be a thing. Um, 
of course, Pete's dad dies in this episode, but in, I believe, the seventh season, Pete's mom will die in another ocean-related accident where she falls off of, like, a cruise ship, like, in the Gulf of Mexico yeah. or something like that. Yeah, she does. Um, the, uh... The, <laughs> Just, like, the tragedy of yeah. Pete's life. It's like, I, I think, like, they're supposed to kind of be the Kennedys, where just, like, everything bad happens to them, and, like, they're, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, there's the whole kid thing with Peggy, which is, like, so manipulative, because mm-hmm. it tries very hard to make you think that it's her child, that they're, like, passing off as Anita's kid, but then you find out it's not, mm-hmm. so it's just, like, it's almost, it's kind of annoying, honestly, yeah. but her and her relationship to the church, and eventually with a priest played by, um... Tom Hanks' son. Colin Hanks, yes, uh, will, will be a big theme throughout... Uh, big, and basically her and most of her storyline throughout the second season. That's gross. I don't like that character. <laughs> he's he's kind of weird. Um, Joan tells a story uh, before she's interrupted by Paul uh, to Donna about her friend dating someone who works for the mayor's office. Betty will end up marrying someone who works for mm-hmm. the mayor's office. Henry Francis, who works for uh, John Lindsay. And that's all I have for that. That's all you have? That's all I have. Okay. So, uh, any final thoughts? I enjoyed this episode more that we talk about it. It's good. It's a good one. It's a good one. one. Um, I, I noticed, I have a little fun, fun observation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when uh, they're at... Pete's mom's house and she's in shock and being very weird and stuff um, and, and he and Butter kind of like whispering to each other about the, the state of their finances um, and she, she looks at Pete and Bud she goes oh she's like Pete and Bud he goes your father used to call you salt and pepper and you may be wondering well who is salt and who is pepper earlier in this episode when Pete is in his office there is a Morton Salt poster in his office. Oh. So I guess he's salt. Who knows why, but... Interesting. Yeah. Little, little fun, little fun visual uh, thing. Yeah. But uh, that's it for this episode, I think. Um, thanks so much for listening. Um, I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Letterboxd at Ameramike and Twitter at Levito. I'm Kathleen Levito. You can find me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. You can find us both on the Real Life Oscar Challenge, the other podcast we do with my roommate. Um, you can find our writings on thepostwriter.com. You can find this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Uh, subscribe to us, rate and subscribe. Um, special thanks to Matt Zoller Sites for writing Madman Carousel, where we get some of our insights from. And for the Lip Sisters for MaintainingLipSisters.com, where we get a lot of our synopses from. They're very helpful folks to have a book and website of. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's it. All right. Fly safely, everybody. <laughs>